Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, it's the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 45 of the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. I'm, uh, I'm pretty shocked. I'm already at 45 here. We're almost at an entire year. I think that's another seven to go and we're, we're at the milestone there. So um, it is the middle of July here and we're all feeling a tremendously warm summer, but hey, I'll take that versus the snow here in, uh, in Western New York. So first of all, if you are a first time listener, thanks for joining us. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you get the latest content as soon as it's released every Friday at midnight Eastern time. That's Thursday night going into Friday. Make sure to share us with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry and leave that review. Five stars. Would love to see it. So uh, welcome back to another great episode. I am again here with Mr. Ben Kowalski down in sunny Florida. And Ben, we didn't get a chance to do a good introduction on who you are and I guess who we both are last week. So um, let's, uh, let's get into that. Who, who, are, who are you and I? And what are we Absolutely. doing here? Why are we Absolutely, Nate. Um, you know, we've known each other for years. And you've got about eight years in the industry in the LTL, 3PL, and asset-based trucking world. Um, you know, mostly with the focusing on working with freight agents to develop their books of business and to help them grow their agencies. You know you're a loving father, husband, and diehard Buffalo Bills fan. We won't Go Bills. Back. Yeah. <laughs> and a logistics officer in the Army National Guard. Yeah, that, that about sums it up. That's me. Um, now you, because people have heard about me for, for many episodes now, and I'm going to have to reference my sheet here with my, with my list of all your credentials. You, you basically sound like a, a doctor of sales, but we're going to get a rundown here. So um, you currently work for Southwestern Consulting as an executive sales and leadership coach. You've got clients all over the US and across Europe. Your biggest mission is to help other people become the best version of themselves through overcoming their self-limiting beliefs, fears, and diving headfirst into their goals. Your passion is to develop leaders through coaching and compassion. A couple of highlights on, on what you're currently doing. You previously worked as a senior logistics account executive. And if anyone knows the, that title, you could probably guess which company, but you know, we'll leave that open-ended. Um, you've established multiple books of business through a lot of cold calling, over $4 million total top line in a 24-month period, which is extremely, extremely impressive. So a lot of people out there listening, that's their biggest question. How do I do this? How do I build a book of business? You're a great asset to help out with that. You work with some of the largest shippers in the world, Maersk, TQL, DOD, Crowley, just to name a few. So you've got quite a laundry list of experience and credentials and glad to have you on here. It's a great addition to the dialogue and you know, I'm excited to, to have another good conversation here, Ben. Yeah, me as well. Welcome yeah. back. Absolutely. And I know a lot of that is from both, I think you and I to say that, you know, just happy to give back. I mean, that's why I do what I do. I know that's why we enjoy doing this show. Is it, you know, giving some people some good ways to be able to not only just make some more money, but, you know, reach their potential, do what they signed on to do when they got into this field, right? Absolutely. So really today's episode we're going to get into is going to be focused on fear and how to overcome fear. I know it's one of the big topics that you've worked on with your consulting work and your sales coaching and training and stuff like that. We're going to hit on how it affects prospecting, career uh, progression, all kinds of facets of the brokerage industry. We'll just, we'll see how deep the rabbit hole goes with fear. It's a, it's a pretty good one. And it's a realistic one that a lot of people like to kind of back away and say, Hey, I'm not afraid I can do this. But deep down, they've got that, they've got that, 
rustling, bustling little fire inside of them that's kind of scaring them. That it's called fear. So, but first, quick little sports update. The two big things I have, and I'm not going to get too controversial, but the Redskins are changing their name. I think everyone probably saw this coming. Um, with a lot of the current climate in the world, they're taking some statues down, changing some names. So that's a big, you know, it's a big adjustment for the NFL. I'm curious to see what they're going to call. Washington I was just going to say now. that. I was hoping you had some insight into it when I, I don't know. I've seen, I've seen the blurbs, but I haven't seen anything even on, um, I listen to Pittsburgh radio still in the morning, listen to all the Steelers recap this morning and nothing like have they, you got to think they're, they're in the capital region. So you think maybe something like, I don't know, like that has to do with the capital of our country. I mean, they, they have the capitals. Um, they've got the nationals. I mean, it's yeah. probably a pretty good guess where they're going to go somewhere down the line of I yeah. mean, the, the senators, maybe. I, I don't know that that would pull very well right now. Or <laughs> Senators was an NHL team, right? Right. Ottawa? Back in the day. still? I don't know. I, I'm not I don't a hockey know. fan as much as I used to be. Neither. I mean, I remember the jersey. I remember the, the, yeah. the senators' face, but I, I don't know if they are still a team or not. Maybe the, uh, the Washington legislators? No, it's awful. <laughs> no, I... <laughs> I don't think it's any worse than the Redskins, put it that way. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, yeah, that'll be – I'm trying to think. What else could they name them? The Washington – huh. Yeah, they've, there's already the Capitals, the Nationals, Senators. So, Who knows, I mean, man? What I did uh, – I'm surprised they haven't kicked it out to the fans. Like, I thought that would have been a great opportunity for them to just engage some people. It's off-season. Yeah. Kick it out and see what came back. I mean, it'd be terrible if they just went generic. They're like, the Washington Wildcats. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, every community college is uh, every team, season. So. Yep. Oh, yeah. The Wildcats. Love it. So, that's, uh, yeah, that's NFL. Um, curious to see how that all pans out. Uh, MLB, we got about two weeks to go. The The – Season kicks off on the 23rd of this month, so we're under two weeks out. There's two games that night. The highlight is the New York Yankees, who are apparently power-ranked number two this year with their bullpen lineup and just the, the team that they've got facing off against the World Series champs, the Washington Nationals. There's your Nationals. There you a little plug in there. Followed the next night by a bunch of other games, my Boston Red Sox against the Baltimore Orioles. The Orioles are actually power-ranked second last, so... I don't think it's going to be an issue. So, well, you've been a Red Sox fan. Out of, curi- out of curiosity, I didn't know you were a Red Sox fan. How? Uh- yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Buffalo, New York is closer to a ton of other teams than the actual, than the Yankees. So, the Yankees, it's pretty much 50 50 here in Western New York with who likes who. Mm-hmm. Um, Boston has a big following. You get some Cleveland Indians, Pittsburgh Pirates, Toronto Blue Jays. Um, I'm closer to all those teams than I am the Yankees because I've got like a seven-hour drive to New York and a three-hour drive to Cleveland, four-hour drive to Pittsburgh, two-hour drive to Toronto. Boston's like six hours. So I grew up as a, as a Boston Red Sox fan through the influence of my family. They, just, they were, so I became one, and yep. that's like my diehard team. Um, so, yeah, that's Makes it. I grew, up a, I grew up a Pirates fan from Pittsburgh yeah. originally. I think I could still name like the 93 lineup, but oh, like – I also just kind of <laughs> fell out of favor with baseball in the late nineties, a lot of the controversy and then just, yeah. Kind of just faded for me, but it happens. Well, it'll be interesting to see, Hey, the, uh, the pirates, they're actually, 
you know, cre- creeping back up from they had, I think it was like 17 years without a winning season at one point. Yeah. So if you're asking like me why I hadn't ago. really followed baseball, that yeah. has something to do with it. Once <laughs> McClatchy bought the team and whatever it was like 98 or 99, yeah. took all the cash out of it. They built a really nice stadium. It was great to have a couple beers and a hot dog and to do something different when I worked in the yeah. Outside of that, there, there wasn't really a hope to follow the team because they weren't spending any money. I mean. <laughs> for sure. So, so what do you got for golf for us? So more, last, more of the no fan influence. A little bit of that. Last week, Justin Thomas had a really bad beat. Um, you know, he had made a 50-foot birdie um, to potentially win the Workday Charity Open in a playoff. It was the type of moment I, I had later seen that um, Tiger Woods was interviewed, said, you know, if there were fans there, the, the crowd would have just erupted and just placed immense pressure on Colin Morikawa. But, you know, we talked about this briefly last week. There were no fans. So yeah, when Justin made this that. clutch 50-foot putt, right, it was just dead silence. Colin walked up to his 24-foot bomb, drained it, and then ended up winning two holes later, which goes to show you, I mean, it is definitely having an impact. I mean – directly both of them said it did after yeah which brings, which brings up to the next point you know the memorial at Muirfield this coming weekend big tournament I think Tigers won there five times maybe six um but the Tiger effect right going back to his college days he has had an immense following when he makes a putt the whole course shakes right Oh but yeah. We talked about the other guys getting a couple strokes for not having the pressure. This is a guy who's relied on his ability to put the pressure on the rest of the field with his fans. And you know, I don't know, I'm sure you you've watched a lot of the Jordan special over, you know, the past couple months. Those are two guys that seem to feed on that, right? Like that's a yeah. source of their energy. And not having that, I, I think is going to be a at the very least, he doesn't have as much of an advantage, possibly a detriment. From his point of view, he says he really just has to keep his head down and take it shot for shot and to not rely on, you know, some of his ability to be able to bring the crowd into the game to take some of the other guys out of the field. Yeah. Ooh. It's, uh, it's just one more, one more example of how COVID has changed the world of sports. So I'm – I'm curious to see how everything pans out throughout the rest of the summer. How do you, how do you think you do? You're a golfer. Do you do better when you've got uh, like, it, let's say you're playing alone or you're playing in a league or, Hey, you're in a scramble and it's just a, a party basically. What's the, what's the optimal Kowalski environment? So for me, I had a goal when I moved to Florida, I've played golf my whole life. I was always between probably about a 10 and 14 handicap, depending on how much I would practice but when I moved here, obviously, the, the ability to play 12 months a year, I hired a coach, got regimented, but my goal was to be able to play with anybody and not be nervous. And I know that might sound a little silly, but... No, that's, that's a valid point. That was my goal. So for the first year that I, I paid a coach and I practiced, had a regimented schedule three or four days a week, got my handicap down to single digits, but my real goal was just to be able to go... And whether it was other people in the business community, but to meet more people to network down here, it's a great way to do that and enjoy yourself. And that was something I struggled with, you know, as a teenager and in my 20s, nervous on the tee box. All I could think about is just, and hey, for our topic today, right? Couldn't Perfect. get that out of my head. You'd be standing up there, my knee, the adrenaline picks up. You're, in fact, right now I could feel the goosebumps on my arms just standing up talking about it. Standing on the tee box and all you're thinking is don't duck hook it. 
don't duck hook it, right? <laughs> you got 25 guys. I'm sure you've played in an outing when you're on the tee box. Sometimes there's oh, yeah. 100 guys, all the cards lined up. It's nerve wracking. And yeah. that was one of the things I, I kind of was, I didn't want to go because I mean, it's not like I'm trying to make the tour or really make money, right? But that was my goal in it. You know, it took me about a year and now I'm pretty comfortable. So I can pretty much play with anybody. Um, and I don't, I'm not worried. I can trust in what I've practiced. And that's a lot of one of the ways, and we'll talk about it in a bit is that's how you can get over that fear sometimes and just cold calling. It's that. What's action. your handicap on 18? Uh, right now it's like nine, four, eight, as I think Jen, just below 10. I just crept past back into single digits. Nice. I, um, I used to golf more. I used to work at a golf course when I was in college. So I golf all the time. And now, you know, I still, I would do leagues and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And after having a, after having a, a child, I swear this has been the, probably my worst year of golf. Um, but I still, but I, I value every round more than I did in the past because there's less of them. So I play basically once a week and then every now and then I'll get like a, an 18, a round of 18 in like once a month. Um, but I think like I, uh, our, our league is on a quota system where you have to get points and, you know, to hit your quota. And it's based on like a, a bogey's worth a point, pars are worth two, birdies mm -hmm. are worth three. And I, on nine holes, I've only got to get like seven or eight points. So my, I think my handicap's like at 22 right now or something. It's, it's tanked. I've always been like a bogey golfer and I've been happy with that because yeah. to me, like when you get that par, it's like, nice. You get that bird. Like I got a birdie on Monday and I was like, sweet. But um, you know, and that's the thing, right? I think what you said there is really important too. It's, it's that Knowing where you are going into the round, if you've got realistic expectations, you can take little wins and enjoy it no matter your skill level, right? And yeah. I have that a lot of times people will say like, oh, well, I don't really want to play with you. I'm, I'm a 20 or I'm a 30. And I'm like, listen, I play with guys, some of them in their 80s that I play regularly with have just as much fun because, hey, from their point of view, their goal is bogey golf. I mean, they're bogey golfers. So if yep. they make a par, it's as excited as I am at a birdie and they yes. have just as much fun. It doesn't make any difference. Exactly. You start. It's your expectations. And this this is gonna this is gonna feed right into the the topic today, which is on fear. And even so, golf. You know, golf is fun. Um, <clears throat> but I'll tell you that I have utilized golf as a tool to have a dialogue and a conversation with folks, whether it's a customer or a prospective um, agent or you name it. It's a great place to force yourself to be in an environment with somebody else for five to six hours. They can't leave you unless they want to make it super awkward. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a great way to just go have fun, relax, have a good time, have a beer or two if you want to do that and, um, and have a conversation. I feel like a lot, of, a lot of business talks happen over drinks or on a golf course. You know, it's just the reality of it. Absolutely. And it's, it's also that it's beautiful out there, right? The manicured landscapes, there's something yep. primal about being out there by the water. Just it's relaxing. It's tranquil. It's I mean, it's one of the most enjoyable places for me. It's one of the places, well, you know, you're a dad, I'm a dad. I've got a 13 month old. I definitely appreciate just being out there, the quietness, the stillness, and it's a great place to build a bond. I mean, yeah. like you said, five, six hours, I've got better bonds with people over that time than maybe sometimes over years of doing business. Yep, for sure. Well, hopefully I'll get down to Boca at some point. You can show me the good golf courses because they're, uh, you know, we only have a good maybe four to five months a year here and 
you know, right now we're in the middle of July and August when it gets hot and the grass is pretty much getting scorched unless they've yeah. got good irrigation. So uh, I've always liked uh, golf down south better than up here. But Oh, hey, always going to be up for a round when you come down. Your parents are up in Stewart, right? A couple hours? Uh, they're in Fort Pierce. Fort Pierce. Yeah. So not too far. What is that about? Probably an hour and a half up yeah. north of you. And yeah. honestly, we play courses hour and a half to our drive. PGA is yeah. probably not too far from you guys too, which is obviously yeah. a beautiful course. Definitely. Good stuff. So let's talk about fear, right? Fear in, in uh, freight brokering. Okay. So I think one of the biggest ones, and you know, we got some notes here to talk about some stuff. Let's just, let, we'll just kind of roll with it. Mm-hmm. But um, prospecting is a big one. Okay. I think that um, if you're brand new and I think a lot of people, like, for example, if someone's listening to this podcast right now, there's a chance that they're trying to better themselves and improve their sales skills. Right. Same thing goes with if you're Googling, and you find yourself on a, you know, a prospecting video on YouTube or an article or a blog. Um, I've written a lot of blogs on um, sales, prospecting, brokering all together. Chances are that's something that someone's looking to improve on. And even if they think they're perfect at it, there's always room to improve. So how does, let's talk about fear and prospecting. What are some of the biggest fears that you think are common and we can kind of dig into it? And, and I think it's a great place to start. One of the things that I, I want to kind of cover is just really the topic of fear in and of itself, right? Fear, it's an emotion, right? And as salespeople, you might experience it, whether you're picking up the phone to make the next call, whether you've got an important presentation or whether you have a difficult conversation with a colleague, right? When you, when you set a goal that's so big sometimes that you're not actually sure you can accomplish it, and another way we run into fear, right? Three reasons for fear, right? Before we kind of dig in. Number one, a lack of knowledge. This is the fear that comes from a place of truly not knowing what to do, right? Maybe you're lacking some resources or aren't even sure where to begin to look for those answers. Maybe you don't know how to overcome a particular objection and every time it comes up, you feel afraid, right? I mean, we've all been there. Two, yeah, lack of preparation. This occurs, you know, when we have the knowledge, but we're not prepared for the situation. Maybe we haven't practiced what we would be doing, what our goal is, what questions we want to ask. Maybe we didn't research the shipper before we got on the phone to call them, right? We're just blank dialing. And when someone picks up the phone, we're caught off guard, don't know what to say, right? And then third, lack of confidence, confidence, right? Deep down, not believing that we're going to be able to overcome whatever challenge we might face, right? And I think the first one... Nate, I mean, we've talked about this a lot is, you know, lack of knowledge. What kind of questions have you seen have been posed for people new to the industry? Yeah, perfect. So this takes me to, you know, uh, the business model of a, of a brokerage overall. You're going to hire somebody brand new. If you're not going to train them properly and coach them and show them the ropes and mentor them, there's organically, you're creating a lack of knowledge. You're putting them in a position where they don't know enough and you have them to hop on the phone. So um, here's an example, right? Somebody, somebody hops in with a new company and week at the end of their first week, they're on the phones, they're cold calling, smiling and dialing, right? Call this company and try to get freight. Well, what happens when they don't have enough industry knowledge on, like they might not know the ins and outs of a reefer trailer and how cycling works and the temperature ranges and you know, what is required by the FDA for handling food product and a transportation entity, right? And 
Protus is a huge part. It's a big, it's a big way to get in the industry as a new broker. So that's one example is I don't know enough about this product or this industry to try and sell on it. The next part, and you brought up objections. So what happens when they ask me a question and I don't know, am I just going to be a broken record that keeps saying, you know what? I don't know, but I'm going to get back to you on that. You know what? I don't know, but I'm gonna get back to you on that. You know what? I don't know, but I'm gonna get back to you on that. You know what? I don't know. So I probably shouldn't be working here right now. (laughs) You know what I mean? So that, that all leads to fear. So that's why I've always said it is crucial and important to not only have a solid training program, but then outside of that, you should always have a mentor in the industry that's going to be able to help coach you long-term, whether you're paying for that mentor or coach, or it's just somebody that you're a colleague with that'll bounce ideas off you, or you can bounce ideas off them and they can kind of be a second set of ears and eyes on whatever opportunities and ideas you have, that's crucial because you're going to be continuously improving. Um, You know what? Like I said, though, you're going to stumble a little bit at the beginning, but just accept the fact that if somebody says no or tells you you're an idiot, oh, well, on to the next one. Water (laughs) off the duck's back. You know, it reminds me of, and I know this is cliche, right? But it's, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Preparedness. And you said it, you know, a half a dozen dozen different ways is that one, whether it's a mentorship, whether you're paying for a coach or whether you've sought out one, it's a mentor, it's someone you trust. Everybody needs that person, I think, in their life, Um, whether it's for accountability, information to be able to be more prepared. Other people have gone down this road before you. You don't need to bump your head along the way as many times as you can just ask somebody, hey, where do I need to duck? Where do I, where am I likely to stub my toe, right? Do you know how many mistakes everybody can avoid just by some preparedness and being intentional about asking some of these questions, right? Absolutely. Definitely. I'm, I'm with you hundred percent of the way. And I, uh, just kind of as a, as a caveat to that, um, I think that having a mentor or a, just a, another person there to, to kind of give you feedback, if they're not in the industry, it doesn't matter. That's okay. Sometimes they don't have, you, you, it's almost a better idea, right? They don't have the blinders of a freight broker or someone in the transportation or logistics world. You could say, hey, here's this idea that I have, or here's this opportunity that I have. As an outsider that does not know the industry, does this sound legit or does this, is this raising red flags in your mind? So I'm that's with you great, on the way. And that's a great point, Nate. When, we, when you think about it, it's right. Like I always like thinking was like, does this pass the sniff test? Somebody doesn't have to be a tenure. Test. Right. Yes. Like, does this smell funny? Right. Like it's that gut feeling when you're, when you're looking at something and you yep. don't necessarily, your mentor, like you said, maybe doesn't necessarily have to have somebody that's had, you know, outstanding credentials in shipping, but maybe just somebody you respect, somebody that's diligent, somebody that has accomplished goals in their life that, that you want to look out for their opinion. Right. Good judgment. Yeah. Good judgment, you know, good sound business acumen in some degrees. And I think it's not only just for the newer brokers out there, right? Um, I definitely coach some people that are, you know, 10 years, 10 years in this field, senior account managers, national account managers, they get stuck in prospecting the same types of customers and shippers because, well, one, you're used to it, right? You've seen success, you stay there, right? The reality of it is, though, is there are so many opportunities across the economy to be prospecting into that to only be doing one because it's the one you've known, you're, you're really only limiting your abilities. You're limiting your opportunities. And that person is going to be able to help at least shine a light onto some of those, you know, whether yeah. it's asking why, why are you only calling maybe Apple shippers? 
well, you know, I had, a, I had a great success last fall. I've got two or three customers and I'm doing almost a year's worth of business during apple season. Well, that's phenomenal, right? But how do you diversify into the rest of the year, right? Who else I agree. can you be calling? Yeah, and I think um, one lesson on the mentors before we kind of roll into it to more parts of it is you brought it up. You know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to learn from scratch. If someone else made mistakes in the past, you can mitigate the amount that you, that you have to make to be successful and to learn because you can learn from their experiences, right? Everyone's going to make their own little mistakes here and there, and it develops you as a person, right? It kind of makes that skin a little bit thicker as you progress down the, your career track. But if you can avoid a massive mistake because you learn from somebody else from their experience, it's going to save you so much time, energy, and probably commission too. So uh, good takeaways, mentorship, check the box, do it. If you're not, you're doing something wrong. So let's get into, um, Talk okay. So we talked about, you know, getting into it, being untrained. Um, let's talk about cold calling, right? You know, mm-hmm. whether you're brand new, your season, cause I, I have, I was thinking about this this morning and I talk to a lot of people day in and day out that want to become and, you know, they want to be a work from home freight broker, which is not necessarily the same thing as a 1099 agent, right? Because a 1099 agent is cradle to grave. They're managing accounts. They're responsible for having a book of business and they're dispatching. Some folks want to come in and be like, Hey, I want to work from home and, you know, just give me the freight you guys got and I'll, I'll get it covered for you. It's like, no, you've got to build a book of business. You've got to, you've got to sell to customers. You've got to build that relationship. And a lot of times I hear, eh, not really a sales guy. It's not up my alley. And uh, I don't really have any interest in building a book of business. You know what I think? It's probably because they're afraid because they don't want to put the hard work in and have to deal with that no on the end of the phone line. Well, so it is. let's talk about prospecting. And I think that's the biggest one, right? there isn't a human being I've met and this is my full-time job now coaching salespeople is that even the guys, the guys, the gals, whoever in it, right. That are phenomenal producers. Nobody enjoys dealing with rejection. And one of the biggest hesitancies around cold calling, if you've heard the uh, 300 pound phone, right? Oh, it's just so hard to pick up. Right. It's because we know we're going to experience some type of rejection. No human being wants to do that. Our minds are not our friends. I know that we like to rely on them. We think that they're going to help us reach our goals, but it's not, right? What our brains do as human beings is they minimize short-term discomfort all of the time. And in order to get where we want to go, our bigger goals, you know, cold calling, growing your business, getting sales up, getting those income numbers, creating that demand involves dealing with that rejection that our brains are constantly telling us, you don't need to do that right now. Everything's okay, right? It's meant to keep us safe. The thousands of years we've been on this planet, that's what our brains have done a phenomenal job at for human beings. Keeping us yep. safe, keeping us out of danger, and protecting us, right? And, and I want to talk about the number one reason why people don't pick up the phone, even once they've made that commitment. It's procrastination, right? It's either traditional procrastination, which is just constantly delaying the things we know we need to do, whether it's yeah. the laundry, right? or that gym membership, or call reluctance. I'm sure you've experienced it at some point. I know I have. I don't know anybody in this business that hasn't. Oh, yeah, the old, uh, oh, I'll call them after lunch. And then after lunch, it's, uh, yeah, let me push that to the end of the day. And then it's, I'll do it tomorrow. And then it's Friday. You're like, I'll do it next week. It's like, just make the damn call. 
Exactly. Pick up the phone, make the call. Because you know what? Nine times out of 10, if not more, it's going to voicemail anyway, if it's a cold call. Agreed. <laughs> so. and, and, and it's just constantly delaying what you can do today because, and, and I heard, I'm in training right now with a lot of the other coaches in Nashville. And there was a speaker yesterday that talked about this. And he said, you know what? You're going you're gonna to have pain no matter what. You're either going to have to push through the discomfort of picking up the phone and possibly getting rejected, or you're going to be sitting there suffering from the guilt because you know you should have done it. You know, you didn't want to do it and you're going to feel that all the way until you do do it, right? It's, do you want to suffer from the one that rewards no one or the one that will build your business, right? You have a choice to make. Yeah. And um, just to expand on that, I've had times when I was newer in sales that, you know, I did the procrastination. I push it off, push it off. When I finally made the call and you get one of those good ones and it actually pans out to something good for you, you're like, dude, that's awesome. Like, this isn't that bad right? You yep. get through the other 20 that are like voicemail or they're like, ah, not interested or not a good time. You know, the million rejection or uh, objections in the world, you learn to like, cool. You know, I'm expecting either a good conversation or an excuse. No one's going to straight up tell me that, you know, Hey, stop calling me. Well, very rarely. So, and if it does, afraid, right. And, and you so. move on to the next one. Here's, yep. one, here's one of my favorite, my favorite forms of procrastination that, that we see probably most often. It's creative avoidance, right? And, and what creative avoidance is, is it's this sneaky one. It's the one that we find, like I said, most people fall victim to. It's the, hey, on my calendar from 9 to 10.30 this morning, I'm going to prospect, right? And then what you hear is, oh, you know what? Let me go, let me go fill up my coffee real quick. I dial so much better with a topped up cup of coffee, right? And they walk over, grab a cup of coffee on their way back. It's, you know what? Let me rinse my face off. I'm going to have such better conversations. Let me get refreshed. Let me rinse my face off. Go to the bathroom. I'll be good. (laughs) And then they come back and they sit down and then there's an alert on their computer, which means what? Oh, it's a notification. It's a customer. This must be a fire. Hold on. Let me call them. I got to make sure that everything's okay. And what just happened there, right? Yeah. And all that is is just uh, constantly delaying, right? Yeah, I've never, I've never heard it called creative avoidance before and I love it. But you make a great point because the individual, they know that they're supposed to be prospecting during that block of time and they don't want to do it because they're afraid of mm-hmm. for whatever reason, but they're going to do everything in their, in their power to readjust their schedule to still make them feel like they're getting stuff done and they're being productive and successful and they're taking care of their customers. They're doing everything to make themselves feel good. And like, yeah, you know, I, it wasn't that I didn't want to prospect. I just had some other this. stuff I had to get done. Yep, it was this, it was that. But, exactly. But at the end of the day, and Hey, I've struggled with that myself over the years. What I have found is to take my most difficult task and put it first and everything gets easier from there. So like if I've got 10 calls that I have to make, and I know one of them is a little bit more daunting because I know it's a, it's a big player, I'm gonna hammer that one out first, right? And it's tough, but you, you just do it. And every call after that is a little bit easier. It is. I have a client that calls that eating his frogs. He says, every morning, Ben, I gotta get better at eating my frogs. And I said, I said what's that, Joe? He said, that means I gotta do the hardest task, the one that I usually avoid until the end of the day, get it done because then it's downhill from there, right? Do the most difficult thing because then it's just easier that way forward, right? Yeah. Where I see this the most though is in the freight brokerage world, it's constantly babysitting a load, right? Or it's 
calling out and constantly trying to cover a load when you've already got a decent margin in it, you should have booked the load and moved on to the next thing. And, yep. and I'll have clients tell me at the end of the day, well, then I, I didn't get my prospecting in. I'm like, okay, well, you know, tell me about your day. What happened? What got in your way? Why well, this load that I was just working on for two, three hours? And it's like, well, did you not have enough money in it? Well, well no, there was enough money in it. Well, you just, there was just no trucks in the area? Well, no, there were. Well, what took two, three hours? Well, you know, I was really just trying to work an extra $25 out of it. Well, what's your time worth, right? It's been yeah. three hours trying to be $25 out of a load on either side when you, sh- you could have reached, you know, 10 Creative avoidance. Creative yeah. avoidance, right? There you go. That's a good point. So, um, here's another couple, a couple scenarios that I found that, you know, we see a lot of fear with brokers. So, and a lot of times it's newer brokers, but not always. So, um, moving that first load, whether it's a new customer or, Hey, maybe you're just a brand new broker. You got your first load to move. There is, and like you said, it goes back to that, um, lack of knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, what if I mess up? What if I, you know, what if I do this? What if I do that? And you get so, people get so wound up in their own emotions and their own self-limiting beliefs that they're going to be the cause of their own screw up. Otherwise they would have been just fine. Another thing too is, um, first time they've got a claim. You're like, I'm afraid to let my customer know. Oh yeah. Uh, like truck started on fire or broke down. You know, it doesn't have to be a full blown claim, but truck broke down. How do I tell my customer? Here's the deal. Your customer knows that you're a broker, that it's not your fault that a truck broke down. Are they going to be pissed? Yeah, probably. Not, not, not even always though. They understand it's part of doing business. Right. Nothing works perfectly. Um, but it's, it's a realistic fear that people have a lot. So have you seen that with folks you coach? They're afraid to tell their customer bad news or anything like that? Absolutely. And it is more so with the, the green brokers, but I, I see it even with tenured ones and, until they get the one that they think is catastrophic. And then once it's, because it's almost like once they've gotten over that one and they realize that something that like is almost unimaginably bad is like you said, acceptable in most cases. Most of mm-hmm. the time your shippers are dealing with truck drivers and carriers and brokers all day long, right? They're aware that things happen. Tires blow out. There are out of service issues. Like they get stuck at shippers. That's just part of the business, right? And what happens is it's ironic, right? They avoid wanting to have that difficult conversation. So what happens? They delay. They procrastinate. Well, do you think that gets easier to have later on? Mm, No. We always say, I always say in the army, bad news gets worse with time. You just got to get ahead of it, man. Couldn't, you couldn't have said it better, right? It's yeah. the, best, the best time to tell them is as soon as you're aware. Because guess what? They're going to value that over their other people that don't tell them right away. I know yeah. on, from my point of view, if a carrier's got an issue, I want to be the first person to know because the worst case scenario is when my shipper finds out about the problem before I do or before I've told them, right? That's worst case scenario. Your customer's like, hey, um, you said the truck was supposed to be here at one. It's 3.30. Where's he at? And you're going, oh, you know what? Yeah, he did call at 12.30. He's got a flat. He's going to be an hour and a half late. And they're going, we could have planned for that. We could have shifted the loads around on the dock. We could have got somebody else loaded. We've been waiting and you just didn't tell us. And it's these scenarios that I think as you go longer through your career, it starts to condition you to do exactly what you said. Bad news first, right? If you've got bad news, get it to them quicker because it's only going to serve them better and your relationship with that shipper over the long run, right? 
That absolutely, I agree. So we've uh, we've done a great job today at identifying types of fears and scenarios, but let's talk about how to deal with it. What can people do to be better? Because it's one thing to say, yeah, this exists, but how do you how do you tackle these? So um, you've coached clients, big, small, all over the world. And fear is obviously a real thing. It's a, it's probably one of the biggest issues that a lot of people deal with in a salesperson type of role. So let's, let's get to the, like for a specific example, cold calling. I'm afraid yep. to pick up the phone. I don't want to hear no. Um, I'm afraid I don't have an answer to all their questions. What would, what advice would you give somebody to how to deal with that? Is there some preparation that sure. goes into it? Is there um, a, you know, a way to get your, cool your nerves? What do you got? The number one way to get over this is planning. As I, as I mentioned earlier, our thoughts are not our friends. And by planning, you take that thought out of the equation, right? Whether you're yeah. planning your calls before your dialing time, if you don't give yourself that time to think, you can't think your way out of doing it, right? I'm sure everyone's heard of this before. Proper preparation prevents poor performance. And all that is is having that preparation, having that blocked out in your schedule, because now when it happens, the only thing you have to do is execute. And that means having the list of the people you want to call before that time arrives. Everyone's been there. I find myself doing this from time to time is, uh, do I want to call them? Do I want to call someone else right now? Is this a good time? If you plan that out ahead of time, you take out your brain's ability to talk you out of it. To, to avoid that creative avoidance, that procrastination, all the things we discussed earlier. If you've got a plan, now all you've got to look back on is, hey, at 10 o'clock when my calendar beeped and said to prospect, did I do it or didn't I do it, right? If you've got the plan, at least then if you didn't do it today, tomorrow, you know the only thing you've got to work on is the execution piece, right? And really work through yeah. that. So just to add a little, uh, little arm yourself with knowledge here, piggyback on what you said. So planning, right? If you're prospecting, know what, this might sound stupid, but know what time zone your prospect is in and also know what they'll be dealing with at certain times throughout That's the day. That's huge. The last thing you want to do is be unprepared, unplanned, and just randomly dial somebody when they're in the middle of their peak busy time as a tra traffic manager. And they're like, dude, stop freaking calling me, you idiots. Like find out when you know, if you have to ask somebody else, hey, what do you think is the best time to call this person? Do that. That's a form of planning though. So figure yes. out a way, just like you said, a little bit of preparation, right? It's going to make you feel a lot better. You know, hey, I'm calling this person at probably an optimal time. And if I miss them, we can try to set up a time that's, that works better for both of us. But at least, you know, at least you're not calling them at a terrible time, pissing them off. And you think about it, right? If you think about our conversation last week, we talked a lot about that impression we give shippers, right? To become that valued partner in shipping. That is the first impression you just made on a shipper, right? You oh, called yeah. them and were just unaware of the way, because most shippers operate pretty similar within that industry, right? At the similar times of day, similar days of the week, most shippers tend to work on the same type. So, whether it's produce or whether it's steel, like the different times a day and different weeks that they typically tender their loads. That's yeah. the same. You're not talking about hours and hours of preparation. Like you and I said, it's picking up the phone and calling somebody that's done this and saying, Hey, can you give me a, 
you know, your 30 second or minute and a half on whoever that you're going to be prospecting that day, right? They'll let you know, hey, Mondays and Wednesdays, two to three in the afternoon is usually a good time to reach these shippers. Tuesdays and Fridays, Fridays are terrible. Friday afternoons, they always have fallouts. Like those are pretty consistent. And if you know those, like you said, two, three minutes before you're going to jump on the phone, one allows you to put your best foot forward and allows you to be insightful, right? So that first impression you just made on the other end of the phone is now one of, hey, this guy knows what he's doing. This is somebody that's tuned into what's going on in the market or this is just somebody randomly dialing me and you're irritated, right? That's, that's that best foot forward. I agree. I agree. So let's, um, <clears throat> let's get into you know, a little bit outside the realm of just prospecting. Let's look at people with pro- career progression. So you actually had a good, um, it was like an email digest that you had about um, the difference between what was it like job risk yes. and career risk? So, so, and, and I'll let you expand on it, but here's, here's what I see, right? The, the W2 broker that is super successful and let's say the stars align, right? They don't have a non-compete. They've got a solid book of business. Their customers will all go with them. They can legitimately go and become a freight agent or get their own authority and start their own company. Um, I don't, not a huge fan of getting your own authority because a lot of the overhead costs and the headaches that go with it. But let's say you want to go be an agent somewhere. Okay. They're afraid of commission only, no base pay, no draw. It's like, well, yeah, that's, it's the upside is ridiculously worth it though. When you look at, if you're willing to bet on yourself, the commission that you can make by doing this, the freedom to run your business, whatever way you want to, you're essentially a business owner, but people have to get over that fear in their head of what if I don't make any commission this week? You know, what if my customers don't come with me? And a lot of that comes down to preparation planning, right? Have the conversation with your customers. Hey, maybe, maybe you're not even becoming an agent. Maybe you're going from company A to company B. You're still an employee. You got salary commission, whatever. If you're afraid about your customers moving, talk to your customers, say, Hey, this is what I'm looking to do. Plan it out, prepare. I'm going to brokerage X, Y, Z. Are you guys, you know, are you set up with them? Are you taking on new brokers right now? Is there any kind of setup requirement that's needed? Plan all that stuff out. So it's a seamless transition. Same thing goes with the whole fear of, you know, going straight commission. Just do the math. If you do even 25% of the same business volume of your old job and you're on a straight commission, chances are that's like your break even point. That's all you have to do, right? Because if you're making 60, 70% commission on a load versus 10, 15, 20% elsewhere, it doesn't take a whole lot of business to get that uh, to that break-even point. So simple preparation. Now, what was the whole um, career risk versus so, job risk? Yeah, we it, got was there? A, it was a quote and a, a few tips from a CEO with a company called Masterclass. And, he, and it was basically, he said, you know, for people nervous about abandoning their current jobs to work for, you know, possibly a startup, he said, while joining a startup might involve job risk, right? In the sense that your job, technically could disappear if the startup fails, right? Yep. It will rarely involve career risk. And what that means is, right, joining a startup or even a smaller company in some ways means you get to dust off, you know, a fancy new job title, but you're also going to be handed a slew of new responsibilities. So strictly in terms of your career, making the leap can be one of the smarter things you could do. And I think one of the, the important things when evaluating that is, and I've coached people through that transition is, ask yourself, most people think of risk as it's only associated with change, right? If I stay the same, I'm safe because change is 
is scary and it'll be different, right? The reality of it is, is if you just look at the sole economics of it, just what you had just walked through, right? There is always risk in also staying where you are. And if oh, you're not yeah. constantly evaluating your current situation and what the environment means for that, you could be in a riskier boat without even realizing it. And I think yeah. that's probably one of the most important things to look at. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, at a piggyback, so like you said, staying, you know, if you're staying stagnant or you're staying in the same position, there's risk there. There's risk in everything that we do, right? The, the key is how to mitigate it as much as possible. So it's at an acceptable level. So for example, if you stay at your existing company, there may be things you don't know, right? Are you seeing, maybe you got the blinders on, like I was saying before, where, you know, you, you're only seeing one thing. Well, maybe you've got all kinds of stuff you're not seeing like change in management. There's consultants coming in. Maybe there's a pending sale coming up and your mm -hmm. job, you know, might be gone. You might, it might be at risk. You got to take a holistic view here and really be aware of your surroundings, have that situational awareness and think, you know, just cause it's been the same for 10 years does not mean it's safe and it's the right decision. Open your eyes up, you know, and see what else is out there. To that point, Nate, the other thing is that I think people are also, I think, in some aware of what they're giving up for that security. That W-2, that, hey, that base pay, that draw, right? There's a lot that, and this isn't even just shipping. This is across our economy, right? To get that security, you give up equity, you give up ownership, you give up long-term profit. A lot of commission positions that give you those base only give you one year's worth of commission on some of your sales. And then they become yeah. house accounts. And then, yeah, you profit for 12 months and you have the security of knowing you can make your next paycheck. But some of these customers that, let's just say you, you do another six-figure customer, right? A hundred grand a year in revenue, right? Profit, net income. And maybe you only make that for, for 12 months and then it becomes a house account. Well, that company now has the equity of that, the value of that long-term, you get none of that. Now, yeah. in the other scenario, you're an Nobody agent. Nobody loves it. Company, nah, absolutely. Companies like, hey, sign on. We'll give you your 35 grand or your 45 grand a year base. We'll give you your paltry half a percent on your 401k and we'll give you some health benefits so you don't have to worry about it. But the reality of it is, is when you look at what the company makes off of the back of some of these efforts of these employees, it's phenomenal, right? That's the upside you just mentioned that you get back taking these 1099 roles or these yeah. agent roles. It's this uncapped, unlimited potential, right? It's, yep. hey, you can continue to grow and grow and grow and the sky's the limit. If you've got that security, that, that's really the case. Yeah, and I will tell you on the, on the topic of fear, if you're looking at a 1099 role, and this relates to, to just about any industry, um, you better be able to manage fear before you're willing to do that because that is a great way to set yourself up for, for failure if you're too afraid to hop on the phone, dig your feet in and prospect. And if you're, you know... People get too comfortable. They're like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm making a good paycheck off this one customer. Well, every customer at some point is either going to be lost or there's, they're going to hire a new traffic manager. Something will change. So you got to always be prospecting. And on top of that, you're no long, you, don't, you no longer have a manager or a supervisor to bail you out if you make a mistake. You got to be able to handle a lot of that stuff on your own. So um, it's a great way to progress your career, but you've got to be able to tackle this fear thing. It's a real thing before you start doing something like that. And, and I think an important distinction with fear is that this isn't something like a hurdle that once we get over it once, it ceases to exist, right? This is something that you constantly have to be aware of 
constantly mm-hmm. being diligent and you constantly need that accountability. It's one of the things, one of the main reasons why people bring me on and you know, my colleagues as a coach is that constant accountability around these things because we're human, right? We're going to slip back into our old habits to develop new habits takes time and fear is going to c- keep coming back up, right? That, that voice in the back of our head that says, stay comfortable. You're fine right now. You don't need to do any more. Just relax. That voice is never going to go away. That voice is never going to change its tone and all of a sudden say, hey, you know what, Ben? You should really get up and just put yourself out there for a lot of rejection. I feel like this is really going to help us get to that goal 10 years from now. Our brains aren't looking five, 10 years from now. Like we've got to train our mind around the plan that that's where we want to go. And if that is where you want to go and those are your goals, you need to be intentional about mapping out what is between here and there, not just this random I'd like this fancy house and this big company and all these things that I see people have and have no plan to get from point A to point C or D. And I think that missing piece, right? And that accountability to your earlier point, a mentor, whether it's a coach, whether it's somebody with Southwestern Consulting or whether it's just somebody you respect, right? Having an accountability partner, maybe it's even within your own office. Just tell somebody, hey, you know what? We used to do this a lot is, hey, I'm gonna make these dials today and we would have little bets sometime. I'm gonna make 80 calls today. And I would tell my buddy Brian when I first got in there and he'd say his number and would have a bet. Hey, if I don't hit my number every day this week, I buy you lunch Friday. And if his was, hey, if I don't hit my number every day this week, maybe I'll buy drinks at happy hour Friday. Whatever yeah. that is, having somebody else there with you, and I hate to say misery loves company because it's not really misery, but it's the compassion. It's being able to have somebody else to rely on, right? That helps you overcome those fears every day, right? It, it's still going to be there yeah. tomorrow. If it was there today, it'll be there tomorrow. It'll be the day, there the day after. Having a plan to be able to work around that is going to be your biggest asset. Yes. Yes. I agree. I think my, my final thought on it and it kind of wraps up the entire thing is that proper planning is going to help you tackle fear. I mean, that is, it's going to help you manage it, right? Like you said, fear never goes away. It's how you manage it. The cure to fear is action, right? If you're taking action, you're not scared. As long as you're moving, you don't have anything to be feared of. Exactly. Cool. So, um, any final thoughts on fear? We got a couple questions here from social media to go through that I think are pretty good, but you got any, any final thoughts? Final thoughts is something I used to have written down above my computer and I still do is fear and the, it's the acronym false evidence appearing real. And if you take a moment to just think about what you're actually scared of the vast majority, if not almost always, right? It's, it's not likely to happen. It isn't going to happen. It's irrational. It's from a time zone that hasn't even existed yet into the future. And we get ourselves all worked up over it, cause immediate harm for something that isn't likely to happen anyway. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, it's funny you say that it's false evidence appearing real. It's like sometimes, (laughs) sometimes if you drill down with somebody with their thought processes, it's like, why, you know, why are you afraid to make the call? Well, if I make the call, they might tell me no, and they might be really pissed off and then it's going to put me in a bad mood. It's going to kill my self-esteem. I'm going to go home and then my dog's going to be dead. My wife's going to leave me. My car's going to start on fire. It's like, whoa, where did all of this come from, man? So, yeah. And that's it, right? False our brains, evidence hey, appearing real. I think we can all relate on some degree that our brains have gone down that rabbit hole, right? <laughs> yeah. Catastrophizing. So, yep. all right, cool. Let's get into some, some questions here. So, I've got two of them. These are, uh, these are good questions. They're, they're more related to the operational side of brokerage. Um, so somebody had asked on Facebook, 
what are the pros and cons of using a factoring company? Uh, I'm not sure if they were a carrier or if they were a broker. I will tell you point blank, I'm not a fan of using a factoring company if you don't have to. I think if you don't have the cash flow to operate a business, you probably shouldn't be relying on somebody else's cash flow to do that yourself if you can avoid it because they're going to charge you 3 to 5% off your um, receivables just to make it happen. Ben, what do you think? I have varying thoughts on this. My background, okay. I was a banker for a long time and access, <laughs> there you go. access the Let's capital, right? And, and I think it provides a valuable service. I've worked with carriers that have been through difficult times that needed it to get through, had a driver get sick, had a couple guys, you know, and then the shippers just delayed their payment terms. The, the shipper had an issue, the, the carrier then needed to make payroll, they didn't have a choice, right? But I've also can tell you, I've worked with some of those carriers long enough that 14 months later, they were, in a, they were in a situation they couldn't get back out of it because it's a revolver, right? Once you commit to that factoring company, typically the factoring company wants all of your receivables. Absolutely. And to get no back exactly. out of it, it's like, it's almost, it's real similar to what some people have with credit card debt and not being able to get out of it, which is financing long-term growth, right? With short-term cash flow. It's yep. the same thing with factoring companies is make sure you need to make that decision when you do because getting back out of it is a whole different scenario. Yeah, I think you, uh, I think you see common scenario, the same people that are notorious for factoring everything and getting into that hole are the same ones that are asking for advances on everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're complaining that rates are at a reasonable rate that's lower than they were last month but they're complaining about all this stuff because the money's not there and they're, they're tight. So um, I'm a big fan of if you can avoid it and you can cash flow your own business, it's going to feel like a weight lifted off your shoulder and you're taking home more money. Um, on the brokerage side, that is one of the highest expenses of starting your own brokerage is to either a have money in the bank to cash flow to cash reserves, to be able to cash flow your business that you would call that a retained earnings. And number two, would be if you choose to factor, and let's say you're doing a million bucks a year, 3%, you're paying $30,000 just to cash flow. So it can be, it can be very, very expensive. So and I think, avoid it if you can. And to that one point, I think people need to, is back to intentionality, right? Think about what your revenues are on a month, on two months. And if you just sit down and think about, hey, what are the pay terms? When do I typically get paid? And look at when you got to pay your carriers it's not calculus to just figure out how long you need to be able to cash flow the yeah. week's worth of freight you put on your books, right? You should be able to work yeah. down to that number pretty, pretty quickly. It's yeah. It's, it's a simple budgeting tool. It's like, it's like in personal finance. If you, if you do a budget, right. And you get paid X amount of times per month and it's split up, you got to figure out, well, this is due here. This is due here. How much do I need in the bank to be able to float me from here to here? If you had, you know, that's the same as a business having retained earnings. You got to know how much do I need to float me between when the customers pay the invoice and when I have to pay the carrier. That's simple. Yep. So simple math, not like you said, not calculus. So good, good uh, discussion there. Next question is from Terrence. Terrence asks, what is the best TMS for brokerage? And he actually gave two ideas of DAT and ITS. So internet truck stop. Um, I will tell you that there are so many out there because there's every, a lot of companies have their own proprietary. So I don't know, like, I don't know what TQL uses or what Coyote uses. I'll, I'll tell you that, yes, DAT and truck stop have, have a, uh, a web-based system that works with their load boards. Makes sense, right? You've got some, you've got uh, McLeod, you've got Mercury gate, you've got Ascend, 
Um, you've got, you know, you name it. There's a bunch out there. I don't know. What it, have you seen any of the big ones or worked with any of the big ones before? I have, and I've actually few a few of my colleagues that I work with deal with some of the back end of the bigger stuff. The one that I primarily worked with was one that was proprietary developed by the company I worked for, but I was yep. also involved a lot on the back end on what that actually needs to do as we got into different industries with dredge and intermodal and international shipping. <laughs> I think the most important thing is it's not a black or white thing. I think you need to ask yourself the question and your mentor, whoever that is, try to brainstorm all of the things you need to do with it. And exactly. I buy that is, hey, are you going to be running LTL? Are you going to be doing international or are you going to be offering intermodal? None of these may be the case, but where I've seen people get into trouble is they thought it did all of these things, which are a lot of assumptions, and then it didn't integrate with their backend accounting software. They then had issues paying their carriers because they thought it was automated. Now they ended up having to hire an assistant to now just do this process. Yeah. So, Take some time and think about what you really want to automate with the TMS. A lot of them offer some things that others can't and vice versa. Yeah. Um, I've seen, I've probably seen like 10 of the big ones, um, kind of a mix of big companies that are proprietary and also the, uh, the big off the shelf ones that are customizable. And I will tell you this, that nobody has the best TMS. People will tell you that we're the best and it's so awesome. It just helps you get your job done. That's it. Like, right. Does anybody really like Facebook for Facebook or do they like it because it lets you connect with other people? That's it. Like no one's like, oh man, Facebook changed their layout and it sucks. I'm going to get rid of it. It's like, no, like you'll get used to the new layout and you're still going to use it and connect with your friends. So that's it. Thing is, Nate, and I think that um, the other big point of that is, right, like what's the purpose of it, right? What are you trying to achieve? Not getting bogged down in the features, like you said. Yeah, a like, a message, whatever that feature is. Oh, yeah, the load board does this. It has this feature. It can do this, right? Think about what you really want to do with it, right? And it just hit me when you said that about Facebook, right? Facebook allows you to communicate with people you wouldn't otherwise communicate with. That's why we use it. We don't use it necessarily because it has a like, a heart, or a comment box, right? It allows you to connect with people you want to socialize the new, with. Uh, the new care, right? With the heart with the hands around it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of the new reactions. Anyway, continue. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I, and I think it's a point, right? <laughs> like understanding like what the purpose is. Why, why do you want to use this? What is it going to solve for you? What are you trying to automate? At the end of the day, a TMS system is going to allow you to track things that you're not going to be able to keep in your head and you shouldn't be keeping in your head. It should allow you to pay carriers efficiently. It should allow you to take your money from your shippers in some areas and allow you to manage some of these things. Some of them do, some of them don't. Yeah. Agreed. Good discussion. Last question. Zohabe, and this also from Facebook. What do you other freight brokers do when you're out of the office? Do you outsource your calls? So he, he's a, uh, he's a broker. And I think he's asking like, I'm ready to go take a vacation. What should I be doing? I've got customers. Like, what do you guys do? Are you outsourcing it? Are you just not doing any work? Um, there's no right answer here, but I'm curious. So you came from a big box setting where you had a lot of folks. So you could, if you're out of the office, you've got backup, right? Yes and no. So that's an interesting Ooh. thing, right? Okay. So definitely had after hour support, but there, you know this as well as I do, shipping and how individual shippers run their systems are different they vary differently from shipper to shipper, right? So mm -hmm. we're, yes, we had support where somebody could answer the phone and deal with a fallout. But if somebody necessarily had an issue with the BOL because something came through and we're stuck at an interchange or maybe at a rail line, 
maybe not able to work through that. So I had a team that I developed underneath me and it was a lot of that. I knew early on if, hey, if I want to ever be able to leave this position, I need to be able to train somebody underneath me with the SOP to manage my customers. Now, the other side of that was, that was my solution. I had a team of nine, 10 people at any given time and I had redundancies to make sure that if I had to be out, they were taken care of. But I know earlier on in my career and other colleagues, they would just let their shippers know, hey, like I'm getting married. I'm going to be off for two weeks going to Europe. I had a buddy of mine. He got married, worked with some big fortune 100 companies. And he basically said, Hey, I'm going to be off two weeks. Are you guys okay? He gave them, them enough notice. They were able to operate without him. There's a risk there, right? There's a risk yeah. that you've got to go get that business back on the other end. And that's what I've seen some other people do. So it really depends on your shippers and what the demand is and what the need is for you. Yeah, I think you've got to communicate with your customers too. If you're going to be out, like, you know, I'm in a little bit of a different scenario, but if I, if I, you know, I work with independent agents. So if I'm on vacation, I usually don't stop working altogether. But for example, I was in Hawaii last summer and I let my top folks know like, hey, I'm going to be six hours behind you and I'm on vacation with my wife. Um, I'm a little addicted to work sometimes. So I'm going to probably be logging in, doing a couple of things here and there, but here's my backups if you need, if you need any if you have any issues, you need help with something, but I'm like, I'm giving you the heads up right now. I'm going to be gone. What can I do ahead of time to try to help you out? What can I do to try and prevent any issues? And I still, I ended up being on a um, 6 a.m. Uh, call with somebody, 6 a.m. Hawaii time. It was, uh, they were in Texas. So it was 11 o'clock a.m. for them, but I was, you know, luckily I was still jet lagged. So mm-hmm. I didn't really, didn't really feel it, but um, sometimes, you know, you just got to set that expectation of, yes, I will be available, but not very frequently. Or if you, if you're not available at all, don't lie and say you are Just say, I'm going to be, I'm going to be dark the next week. So, but set yeah. the expectation. So there's no mystery and no surprises. And it, like you said, if you get ahead of it and you set the proper expectation, it shouldn't be an issue. I mean, I've definitely, same as you had to take phone calls at three in the morning on a vacation because some load either had some issue somewhere and it was like, Hey, they didn't want to make these decisions. They wanted me to sign off on it. And unfortunately, hey, that's one of the trade-offs when you're new to the industry is you're pretty much tied to your customers 24 hours a day until you've got yep. that person trained underneath you. Another big reason to keep your eye out on delegation as soon as possible. Absolutely. Good stuff. Good stuff. That's a good, um, good discussion we had there. So um, episode 45, covering fear, talking a little bit of uh, golf, talking about, you know, vacations and TMSs and all kinds of good stuff. Any final pointers or thoughts for anybody before we wrap this one up, Ben? Just that I think a lot of times people think they're alone in their fears and that's why they don't seek a solution or help to get through it. They feel like other people are just tougher and they go, hey, then they feel bad and then that's a whole other rabbit hole of emotions, right? Everybody feels this way from time to time. Everybody feels like they don't want to pick up the phone to deal with rejection, right? The... this is, and I want to leave it with just this one thing, right? It was, and I want to, I want to recite this right word for word. It's that like courage isn't the absence of fear, right? Courage is being aware of a fear and acting anyway, right? There aren't people that just are immune to what we've talked about. Everybody's subject to it. Whose quote is that? I, I honestly, I wish I could attribute it and know who said it, but it's one that's always stuck with me. It would have been great if at the end you're like, Benjamin Kowalski. <laughs> Just underline <laughs> that. Thank you. Uh, love it. No, I agree with you. I think that um, 
like you said, I think everyone's got fear. I think some people pretend they don't and they act like they don't. If you can't admit and accept the fact that there's real fears in the sales process and in prospecting and developing your career, you're not going to be successful versus or as successful as someone that can accept that and actually address it and have a game plan. So path that, to a solution starts thoughts. with acceptance, right? You got to at least yes. accept the fact that there's an issue before you're ever going to solve it. Correct. Well, good discussion. Good topic. Really um, enjoyed it, Nate, as always. Well, yes. Thanks for being on again. We'll see you guys on the next episode. And as I always say, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Thanks for joining and make sure to leave a review and check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that I referenced on this episode and feel free to add and message me on LinkedIn for suggestions for future topics. See you on the next episode.